0: But that was really
1: 1981 Rock
0: what's up everybody i'm your host stacy lane wilson author of the rock and roll nightmares book series and director of the film the ventures stars on guitars you are listening to the rock and roll nightmares podcast for people who love music from the 60s 70s and 80s and now on to the show My guest today is Oriole Collins, a longtime yeah, yeah. collaborator of mine. Yes, uh, uh, we first met at a comedy club in Hollywood, and, and I could kind have of sworn you were on stage doing an act, but you later told me you <laughs> were, so I'm just like, oh, maybe she's, you know, it's just your sense of humor and your charisma that made me think that. <laughs> anyway, Oriel is a punk rock historian and a true crime buff, and that's what we'll be talking about today. So welcome to the show, Oriole.
1: Thank you. Very glad to be here. And I remember that because we had known each other for a while. I want to say maybe a couple of years. When you introduced me to someone, you said, oh, Oriel was up on stage. And I was like, wait, what? No, I wasn't. I, wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I was in the audience. It was um, all an illusion.
0: Well, you must
1: have been saying something. I remember I just thought you were one of the comedians. There was a girl that looked very similar to me, we both had short hair. But nobody looked like
0: you.
1: Oh no, You're no! I get it all the. I get... <laughs> I get it all the time. You'd be surprised when I had that short haircut. People would stop me. Oh, you look just like my granddaughter. I mean, just random, oh, wow. random. I look like everyone to someone. I mean, it depends on the haircut.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I it's the haircut. <laughs> but,
1: um, well,
0: yeah, I mean, well, you've yeah, worked in the, in the fashion industry, and I guess, you know, that's that's part yeah. of the, that sleek, short hair.
1: Oh, my career, I, would, I think because I was into punk rock and doing all the DIY clothing, yeah, I taught myself to sew, and that kind of segued into me getting into fashion. I really think that's a whole rock and roll is the whole foundation for me getting into my career.
0: The punk rock aesthetic is pretty, yeah. there's also a DIY, but there's also a high fashion aspect. When you think of Vivian Westwood. Um, oh,
1: designer, definitely. You
0: know, she dressed the Sex Pistols, among others. Um, what did you first think when you saw the Pug Rock aesthetic? And when did it go mainstream in your opinion?
1: Well, I first saw it, I was like, what, you know, I, I had we I had seen a couple of people and I lived in the Bay Area when I was a kid. And I I whenever I would see people like that, I just thought they were so glamorous looking. And then we moved to Iowa in the middle of nowhere. Oh my God. And I remember I was. <laughs> I was so upset because they didn't have MTV. It wasn't even an option.
0: Oh, really? It's just
1: like, where, where the heck can we move? I don't even have MTV. <laughs> you know, MTV used to be just it for everyone. Mm-hmm. And uh, because we didn't have it, I, I would stay up really late until two or three in the morning and catch the show called Night Flight. Do you remember that show? I sure do. I was so like, yeah. So they had a lot of punk rockers on there. And here I am in the middle of Iowa, nothing around, no <laughs> punk, no no scene, no anything. And I would just be watching this shows being like, those are my people. Where are they? You know, I just thought it was so glamorous. And um, then we moved later around about an hour outside of DC. And that's when I really met people and got into it. And as far as it breaking, it definitely went mainstream in 1991 with the Seattle sound, you know, Nirvana's nevermind bumping Michael Jackson's off the top number one spot. That was just a sure sign that we were out in the open. It had been underground for so long and then it went mainstream. And it was kind of bizarre, you know? Yeah. you I feel mean, it building beforehand, like something was more and more awareness but then all of a sudden it was just boom
0: and then that made it like i think grunge made it cool to be mainstream you know whereas before it was like you're selling out kind of thing
1: It, it grunge to me it was kind of a more of a media invention there was no such thing as alternative there was nothing like that on the radio they invented those terms to market kind of just an evolution of punk rock. Hmm. Um, right. You know, definitely got more polished and and everything. You know, but it, it, people don't, they think it's just out of Seattle. It really wasn't the DC scene. You know, was really everywhere was kind of emerging into this combination of heavy metal sludgy guitars with the punk slowed down a little bit dc was highly connected to seattle we had all of those tapes of the bands before it was released i think it because of the discord label and the sub pop label but sub pop that guy had like an english journalist come over so he got more kind of making his brand bringing it out to the public like that when he brought the journalists over and ian MacKay and discord he didn't want anything to do with that so you know it was it was marketed definitely
0: yeah I mean I love grunge you know how much I love nirvana but I'm not really yeah into, you know I'm not into punk too much I like a couple of the sex pistol songs of course yeah God save the queen and you know but I'm, <laughs> I say I'm more like punk light I say that in quote marks you know I like the Ramones and yeah Blondie and bands like that but um, there is kind of also like um, an underbelly to punk that's kind of negative with the skinheads. And, you know, I don't personally want to be slam danced at a concert. I mean, what kind of affected right. you to that aspect of the punk movement? Or was it something different well, that, with the young woman?
1: That's, it, I, I like that you brought that up because I think people see, it's called hardcore. The skidheads, so the, you know, that it became more of a uniform and it became more macho and masculine. But the original punk sound, it people would be surprised. You could find you'd be like, oh, this is punk. I mean, the go-go's came from the punk rock scene. And so it was more like art house music. So that it, it was more inclusive. There that was, it was the only thing I had ever found that told me I'm equal everyone that comes to that door equal you could be blue purple yellow white black you know it yeah. wasn't about division it was more like we're all kind of you know considered weirdos anyone that was a little different that got kind of picked on anywhere else you could come through the doors and be in the punk rock community and you would be included and all of that fell away when you walked through the door and then add, you know, this has been around since the '70s. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still finding bands when I go back. That I'm like, oh my god, I love this band. Oh, they're in the '70s. I'm, dumb. <laughs> yeah. So for me, it was just like, you know, I heard this song by Fugazi, "Suggestion," and I was like, how does this bald white guy know what I feel like walking down the street? Why can't I walk down the street for a suggestion? And then, you know, it, it evolved into the stuff. I don't really care for it either. That hardcore sound. It's more really fast and with the skinheads and it just, it became more macho and that drove a lot of the inclusiveness kind of out. I didn't want to go be slammed either. You know, like so. you've
0: been, you've done crowd surfing and stuff like that, right?
1: Oh my gosh. Do you want me to tell you that? <laughs> <laughs> I had I had not been to a show for a while. I mean, it had it today, and then I was like, "Oh, it's over. I'm never going to be in that again." And you, you go to the whiskey and stuff like that, and there's signs: no stage diving. Like it's over. And then I had a chance to see TSOL in Orange County. I forget the club down there. I had no idea what I was going to see, and the show starts, and I'm like. Oh my gosh! Everyone is out. You know, there's a pit going on. People are jumping in, and I was just so transfixed. I just went in, and I'm like, <laughs> you know, I shouldn't. I'm a little like, you know, getting to they're the age. You know, I shouldn't have been out there in the with the kids. And I promptly get knocked over. My phone goes skidding across the floor. I'm on oh my, my butt, gosh. and I'm like, oh my god! But the it 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 really is when you're involved it's like I was being picked up by by like five kids and here's your phone and I'm like oh this is so (laughs) nice (laughs) but I'm like you just kind of swirled around and big the wall and I'm like I gotta get out of here and I I just reached my arms up to the people there's kind of a half tear you know they pulled me up out of the pit and that ended up being the best place to watch the show. It was just almost front and center. And right next to me, it opened up. So these kids were all launching themselves into the pit to my left. And so I'd help them up there and just throw them off. <laughs> uh-huh. It was so fun. I mean I just that energy was there again. It was just fantastic. And I I didn't think I'd see it again, but yeah, so the next day I'm like, God, my arms are really sore. <laughs> oh, throwing man. kids off geriatric the bed all night. Punk.
0: No. <laughs> yeah, geriatric
1: punk. I'm like, what are you doing? But it, I, you know, you just—I felt like I'm like on oh, my youth again. It was just a great feeling to see it that it's still in little pockets alive. You know.
0: Well, you've seen it from the other side because I know you've um performed in some punk bands. Oh yeah. Like. What did you do in? Oh my gosh!
1: Here? So I was in the D.C. scene and um, big fan. Of, it has a to me, it has a distinctive guitar sound. Just a lot of my favorite bands. That was my introduction in that area. And after moving to L.A., I just I'm like I'm never going to meet. And it took me a while to meet any musicians. And I lived in L.A. for 20 years. And I had gone out to see my friend's band and I'd wanted to play for a while. I just, you know, didn't think I would meet anyone. And at the very end of the bar, and that's the only open stool is this, I mean, he wasn't to me, but I could see why he may look intimidating. This big black guy, he's got the studs and the chains and, you know, and I was just like, I want to go sit by that guy. (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> of course you did. I was like, "That's you know." Um, he was all dressed up like that, so I went over and I sat down next to him. And he looks at me. And he's like, "Names?" I thought he said Frank. Names <laughs> Frank. I'm like, "Okay." He's like, you want to go outside and smoke? I'm like, "No." Like, <laughs> I just got here. I want to see my friend's band. And he's like, "Whatever." This band sucks. And he gets up and leaves and I was oh, like man. okay that was a colorful character and I got my back you know I'm ordering my drink and all of a sudden I hear from the stage a DC guitar I, I whip around like what the heck it's the guy and he's on stage you know he just got done saying the band sucked and he, it was it, <laughs> it, it was <laughs> really punk rock. It, yeah so it's just like totally punk i'm like oh my god he's in the band he just said (laughs) it sucked and that was my introduction to fred freak smith just one of the best guys i've ever known and uh i was in studio with him two weeks later we were practicing and just getting to play with someone like that it was just amazing musicians know what I'm talking about you get into a groove you don't have a conversation with your words you kind of fall into this groove and you can hear what where it's going to go and our practice sessions would be like that I could hear in my mind kind of where he was going to go next and I just had that connection with him it was really something else I don't know if I'll ever find again you know
0: yeah I know he yeah. passed
1: away yeah yeah that's yeah, it's really um, upsetting. We're still trying to find out information about his death. If anyone, you know, Fred Freak Smith, there's a group on Justice for Fred Freak Smith on Facebook. He had gone missing and everyone, we were just like, we're, you know, we hadn't heard from him in a couple of months. He wasn't answering his phone and then he turned up as someone had stabbed him in the neck. Oh, man. So it was really traumatic and we don't know what happened or why he just, we think he was out on the street or in the park and someone, maybe just wanted his backpack, you know, it was really down to survival.
0: I do want to talk kind of about the, you know, the poster boy of monks Sid Vicious because he lives so oh, yeah, yeah, so strangely. I mean, you're yeah. a true crime historian, so I'm kind of curious. To I know, definitely. Know. So his mother actually shot him up with heroin is that true to kill him
1: oh my gosh and you're getting that from the final 24 Sid Vicious right of course I've read all about them and seen all the documentaries and uh, you know I think that's probably accurate the thing was is the cops always hated the punk rockers I mean when she turned up stabbed and then they arrested him it was just like case closed they didn't do any work nancy yeah nancy spongen and she turned up in the chelsea hotel and had been stabbed in the stomach sid was just he didn't know what the heck was going on and they just took him in he was there then when he was overdosed apparently they were just like case closed they didn't do anything but it's it's highly unlikely that he he murdered her i mean they really did not do anything and um, Sid and Nancy is just kind of if, if they're younger viewers she's kind of like the the a version of Courtney Love like the you know the 70s version of, of Courtney Love. And she was even uh, in Sid and Nancy that movie she played one of Nancy's friends in the movie That's right but you know the band hated her and she's blamed for getting Sid hooked on heroin and breaking up the band and they tried to kidnap her when she came to England to meet and met him Malcolm McLaren the manager yeah. of Six pistols and some of the band like drove by and pulled her into a car and tried to stick her on the plane to get her back to back to the US and away from Sid but that didn't work and you know because Sid's mom was a junkie and maybe sometimes when you are raised and you you equate certain things with love that you're just raised in a certain way and he probably was attracted to her in a certain way. His mom was a junkie, you know it's kind of unlikely she got him into it. He probably had it, you know, from his mom and when I saw that, it made so much sense. I bet she did because the thing was is, you know, how selfish. She used to use him as a drug mule when he was a kid to go get her stuff for her. And yeah. you know, he, he if he had gone to prison, he may have cleaned up and had a right. chance at like kind of yeah, stand the standard made that decision. And that that was what she thought exactly. She she thought he's not gonna make it in prison. He's, you know, he won't do well, maybe, you know, but she doesn't know. She kind of just took that away from him. So yeah. she she felt, and I think it was down to her. She didn't want him to leave her. And so he, she made that choice that death was preferable. Hmm. I, I just don't see him being, you know, he was really not over Nancy being, murdered but you know he may have had a chance if they just sent him to prison i mean we don't know what would happen he was just he was they got released him on bond and he was gone so and so young that was really so young and you know she doesn't know he's going to be life in prison he may have gotten acquitted they really didn't do an investigation and there is if you you love documentaries there's a documentary called who killed nancy and it kind of raises the question that it more than likely wasn't Sid.
0: Even though the punk movement didn't last that long, I mean, when you think about it, it really only had a, a, a burst of popularity for a very short amount of time, but we're still talking about it to this day. Um, why do you think that punk was kind of this legendary music movement that burned out so quickly, but left such um, an impression?
1: To people who are in it, it really hasn't ever burned out. I mean, it may have burned out to the popular culture, but we didn't want it to go popular in the first (laughs) place. You know, it has been something that it it evolved in the 70s. And with the exception of a few artists, the Ramones, Iggy Pop, you know, the bands you had named they especially in on the west coast the labels were just ignoring the music so it became the you know the people's music there was no one telling you how to how to look how to sound and that kind of when you have a movement that's underground like that and it's that's why it's so diy because there is no money in it you don't expect to be famous from it you just you expect to be able to, to, to make a, a living out of it and have a scene there. And honestly, I think the fact that it became mainstream is kind of what killed it. But if you look, it's everywhere now. I mean, you never used to be able to go. People People don't understand because it's ubiquitous. Tattoos, colored hair, piercings. You did not see that stuff. Even up to 91, there You're wasn't right. anyone walking around with anything. Um, my roommate, maybe 89 or 90, got her, she got her nose pierced, just a little stud, nothing else, I mean, we didn't dress, well, she didn't really dress like anything, you know, Um, we went down to the corner diner, and they were like, it felt like the whole place was staring at her, it was a little tiny nose stud, nobody had colored hair tattoos, it was very unusual, so they told, you know, yeah. You can leave, and you can come back when you get that thing out of your nose. But now that I think it has endured, and you just and kids start going to school with blue hair, there's no kind of looking at like eh, you know grow you know scroungy or whatever there's kind of it's gone into high fashion. You see some of the high end labels with studs all over everything i I think uh it 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 also comes a lot from poverty. Because when it came out, there was such a depression, you know, going on, a recession. Like the garbage people were on strike and they weren't picking up the trash and nobody could afford things. So everyone was going to thrift store and literally using safety pins because their clothing was falling apart. (laughs) And I remember I came up with thrift store clothes and you kind of felt like an outsider because you couldn't afford the same brands. You didn't look the same. And so after a while, it became like, I don't care I don't if I look the same. I, I don't want to look like you, you know? So I, it's just, uh, I think it became like, instead of being ashamed of being different, it was like, I'm going to embrace being different.
0: You have made some incredible clothes and helped me out with some of my clothes with your designs oh. and your <laughs> Fashion artistry yes she definitely oh my gosh
1: thrift pictures. store you thank you yeah Um i, I still thought stop the, the thrift store it's like treasure hunting you I, never know yes, what you're gonna is. find <laughs> you can find <laughs> most
0: amazing things and then transform them
1: yes that's um, what i love about it
0: that question that i asked some of my guests only the ones that i really, oh. really love on the rock and roll <laughs> podcast is what is your own personal <laughs> rock and roll nightmare
1: i the only thing that popped in my head was <laughs> 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 i came outside of a show one time and i get to my car and i'm like what the heck there's a crowd of people around my car and it's sitting on my hood like it was his living room furniture was this big fast silly hippie I mean, oh. I was like, and he is like dealing and there's just a ton of they're all like my car sitting there was a bunch of people around it he's sitting in the middle of my hood his legs crossed I was like wow um, excuse me uh what are you doing and he's like oh I'm sorry I'm like yeah you should be like what the heck but he gave me an eighth of mushrooms so
0: well, that's not so bad. <laughs> All's well that ends well. Can you uh, let us know where music fans and true crime buffs can find and follow you on social media?
1: Oh, I'm uh, Eyes Like Opals on Instagram.
0: Where did you come up with that
1: handle? I love opals. I mean, it's an O name. You know, kind of right. a little unusual. But there is a Patty Smith song. And it's uh, I think it's Birdland. Oh, it's just one of my favorite.
0: Well, that's perfect. So eyes like opals on Instagram. Thanks, Oriel. I really appreciate yeah. you telling me about your punk rock. Of and course. Keepers, and I really appreciate having you. Thank you. Bye. As always, before I close the show, I'm going to share a paragraph from one of the Rock and Roll Nightmares books. This is an excerpt from the non-fiction edition and the chapter is flirting with disaster on the night of may 3rd 1974 a brash drunken young rock singer by the name of von scott made quite an entrance through the windshield of a van being driven by 17 year old b morgan it was a rainy night in australia's port adelaide northwestern suburbs and when Scott's motorcycle hit the fast-moving vehicle, he torpedoed through the thick glass, losing numerous teeth, breaking his collarbone, and slashing his neck, missing the carotid artery by just a hair. Bond was in a coma for three days and spent almost a month in the hospital. Meanwhile, the teenage driver, who was actually a fan of Bond's band Fraternity, was charged with not giving way, but he was acquitted in court. It was absolutely horrifying. Then I was reading in the Sunday Mail that it was Bon Scott. I couldn't believe it, Morgan said in an interview some 40 years later. In a timely twist of fate, Bon's injuries kept the singer in Adelaide long enough to catch the attention of a band in need of a singer. That band was ACDC, and before long, Bon snagged the lead singer crown from glam rock and Dave Evans, and the rest is heavy metal history. This concludes another episode of Rock and Roll Nightmares. I'm your host, Stacey Lane Wilson. The theme song, Out for Blood, is composed and sung by Lars with a Z, Cabot, and the band is Fuzzbuster. You can hear the whole track in the horror comedy film Valentine Days, also with a Z. For photos of the guests and show archives, please visit the website rockandrollthings.com. That's rock and roll with an N. You can also join the Rock and Roll Nightmares Facebook group or follow us on Instagram at rockandrollnightmaresbooks. That's B-O-O-K-S. This is an indie podcast, so your subscriptions and ratings are really important. Thank you for joining me, and until next time.